Before we jump into the message today, I want to take a moment and to pray. And I'd love for us to take a moment and pray for what's happening in the Middle East, specifically in Israel. And uh, so I'm going to lead us, and if you would just agree with me in heart and mind. Father, we come before you in a <laughs> uh, broken world that is um, overwhelming at times, and, and we see the destruction and death, and we see how violence can beget violence, and anytime violence wins, humanity loses. So Holy Spirit, we pray for peace. We pray, Father, for protection around those who maybe have been taken hostage. We pray protection around people as fighting is, is going on. God, we pray for life and not death. God, we also pray for health and a speedy recovery for those who are held hostage. We pray for wisdom for leaders. We pray, Lord Jesus, and long for the day when you will return, and there will be no more war, and there will be no more fighting, there will be no more loss, there will be no more tears. And so, Holy Spirit of God, we ask for your kingdom to come and your will to be done in Israel today as it is in heaven. And everybody said, Amen. Well, welcome 930. Great to be with all of you. If you're brand new today, my name is Aaron Stern. I'm the lead pastor here. also want to take a moment to welcome everybody joining us on live stream online. And uh, also wanted to let you know that next Sunday, uh, Rich Velotis, one of our overseers, he's a pastor of New Life Fellowship in Queens, New York, uh, will be here speaking. He, uh, I love when overseers come because they get a chance to know you a bit better and you get a chance to know them a bit better. If you're wondering about what is an overseer and what do they do, uh, come to Mill City Connect and uh, that's where we describe uh, some of our government structure and the role that they play in the life of our church. Uh, before moving to Fort Collins to plant Mill City Church, uh, Jossie and our four boys, we lived in Colorado Springs, and I was a college pastor, and six years into being a college pastor, I took on an additional job at the church, oversaw another uh, department, and so now I basically had two full-time jobs, and every, any bit of margin that I had in my life got sucked out, and it was one thing after another, and it was longer days, and, and less time, and less time to breathe, and, and I was feeling it after a few months. Uh, I was really tired and didn't have much time to think, and, and it was having some impact. And I went on a, on, a, on a trip to go visit a missions team in Asia. And if you've ever flown to Asia, uh, there was a long flight usually involved, and I had a 15-hour flight Sitting on that flight, I took a nap, I slept for a little while, I read a book, I, I watched a movie, I did some things on my computer, and, and, all, and, I, and then there was still four hours left. And so here I was for the first time in a long time with my thoughts, able to think and pause and reflect. And as I did, I started to think about the, what I had taken on in a few months prior and what, how it had impacted my life and the ways in which I was weary, and I thought, this isn't going to work. And I realized some things, and so when I got home a week later, I sat Jossie down and I said, um, I have to tell you something. I said, I've been lying to you for six years. Now, if you ever want to freak your spouse out, <laughs> I highly recommend this method. It works wonderfully. 
And I said, I have been lying to you for six years. I've been telling you this is just a busy time. Implying that after this month or after this event or after this semester, things will slow down and you will have more time together. We'll enjoy a slower pace together. We'll be able to get away together. We'll do some more things as a family together. Things that were lacking in the moment. And as even though I wasn't intentionally lying to her, I had been telling her this for six straight years. Because it was a busy season. But what was happening as this college ministry that I was leading was growing. It was a busy season followed by another busy season followed by another busy season. And if it wasn't a busy season, it was preparation for a busy season, which made the preparation for a busy season a busy season. So it was busy season after busy season after busy season for six straight years. And I said, I realize that what I had hoped for and was implying that would happen wasn't going to naturally happen. I have to actually do something to make that happen. My pace is not going to slow down on its own. I have to make some changes. And since that time, I've been on a journey. We've been on a journey of slowing things down. It has made a dramatic impact on our lives. Today, we're starting a new series called Practice Slowing. The word for 2023 is practice for our church. Found in the end of Matthew chapter 7, the end of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus, after teaching his disciples, he said there's two different types of disciples, a wise disciple and a foolish disciple. Both hear my words. A wise disciple puts them into practice. A foolish disciple does not. We want to be wise followers of Jesus. Disciples of Jesus who don't just hear it, but actually put it into practice so that our lives reflect what he says. So throughout this year, we've had different series focusing on practices that engage and integrate the words of Jesus into our lives. So we had practice community, practice generosity, practice scripture, and now we have practice slowing. So for the next few weeks in this series, we'll be talking about different ways that we might engage and Slow our lives down. In a world that is increasing in speed, faster and faster and faster, and some of those technological advancements that we see and find in our world, I'm actually thankful for. I'm thankful for airplanes. That, that to go somewhere far away doesn't take weeks. I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that I don't have to carry a paper map around. And so many of the advancements have been wonderful, but they've also increased the speed at which we travel through life. And our natural tendency is just to keep up with the pace of our world. Dallas Willard, who wrote many books on spiritual formation, who I've referenced regularly over the years, was asked, what else can I do to become more like Jesus? Is there one particular key that you would offer? And he said, hurry is the great enemy of the spiritual life in our day. Ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. See, because speed is the enemy of depth. 
And so we just start, our RPMs start going up and it's just zzzz. Sometimes our lives kind of sound like this. Right? It's like this is a, it's like a frenetic hamster wheel music. Kind of annoying. Like, uh, you're not like, oh yeah, I feel so much calmer. When maybe it should actually sound like this. Both of those clips of music are the same song. The first one, all the rests were taken out. The first one was the eye of the tiger, no rests. You're like, annoying, I don't like that. Second one, you're like, hmm. You're like, ready to take on the day. <laughs> Sometimes our lives sound like this, and they look like this, and they feel like this, and then, 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 But God's like, oh, that's not how I designed you. Now, there's a lot of reasons that we're busy and we move at a quick pace. Sometimes it's a bit of an ego thing. We're, we stay busy because, because it makes us feel important. We travel at a high rate of speed because if we're not doing anything, we don't feel important. Other times we might be addicted to busyness and speed and pressure because it's uncomfortable for us to slow down. We actually don't want to slow down because we're actually avoiding something. So then when we do try to slow down and rest, rest can feel like stress if busyness is how you medicate. Which really means that we just have room for God in our hearts but not in our calendars. So God has given us a way to build the right pace into our lives and to actually include it in our calendars. And he's given us a practice to help us slow down, and it's called Sabbath. Now, Sabbath, as we've said about any of these practices, is not an end in itself. It is a means to an end. And it is a, the reason we would take Sabbath, the reason we'd want to slow down, is to become people at rest in an anxious world. To be people that don't keep the RPMs going and this is just a frenetic, I'm already anxious, you make me anxious. But actually like, wow, there's something about you that is really calming and a blessing. And like, you're like traveling at a different speed. And there's something about that that is so unique and so different. And appealing. And it's actually a commandment because it's found in the Ten Commandments. It is the fourth of the Ten Commandments. Too often we take the Sabbath in particular out of the Ten Commandments and think of it as a lifestyle suggestion. But it is actually the only spiritual practice found in the Ten Commandments. There's not read your Bible, pray every day, but there is 
take a Sabbath. We find the first list of the Ten Commandments when Moses received them from God on Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 20, starting in verse 11, where he says, remember, this is the fourth commandment in the list of the ten, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This word Sabbath translated from the word Shabbat. That word Shabbat means stop. Stop working. Cease from your labor. We live in a 24-7 world. God is asking us to be 24-6 people. Stop. Stop what you're doing on the other six and make the seventh day a different day. Now, just for, for continuity's sake and for us to make sure that we're all on the same page, I want to give a definition for Sabbath. Definition for Sabbath is a 24-hour block of time. It is a full day in which we stop work, engage rest, and practice delight. Now, Jesus, or excuse me, God in creation is referenced in this particular commandment. Referencing God that he created the world and he wove into the fabric of the world this day of rest. Now, it said that God rested on the seventh day, but God was not tired. So God instead is modeling something to his creation as image bearers. So you, Sabbath is about imitation. We keep Sabbath because it is what image bearers do. Now, some people might say, well, you know what? I don't need a Sabbath. I'm not tired. But Sabbath isn't just a matter of rest. It's a matter of trust in God's design. Like that God actually made us this way for a reason and asked us to do this for a reason, that we actually need it. He references Genesis chapter 1 and the creation of the world. It's interesting in there how each day... He creates something. He fills the, the water with fish. He puts uh, uh, things into the heavens, stars and planets, etc. And all the different things every day. And it says at the end, and the, each day, evening and morning. Isn't it interesting that the day starts in the evening? Which means that the day starts with sleeping and rest, not production. So often we think it starts with production and ends with rest. Which is why the Jewish community practiced the Sabbath by starting on a Friday night and ending on a Saturday at sundown. When we think of it as a, something that we get as a result of being tired, then we oftentimes are thinking about Sabbath as a reward. But Sabbath is not a reward for finishing work. Sabbath is a gift because work is never done. Which is why Jesus, in his interactions, especially with the Pharisees, says Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Meaning it's a gift to humanity. And so the question is, will you receive it? 
Will you receive it and believe what Walter Brueggemann says in his book, Sabbath as Resistance? People who keep Sabbath live all seven days differently. Yes, it affects that one day, but it impacts the other six. After now this journey, since that conversation with Jossie, I can say that is 100% true. There's another place in the first several books of the Bible where we find a list of the Ten Commandments. The first one, as I read a moment ago, is in Exodus chapter 20. The second one is in Deuteronomy chapter 5, where they're reminding everyone about God's commandments and what it looks like to be His people. And starting in verse 12, it says, Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Exactly the same as what was written in Exodus chapter 20. But now, instead of starting to talk about creation, he says, remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. He's saying and reminding them, you were once in Egypt, and when you were in Egypt, you were slaves, and you did not have an option to stop. Now you're no longer a slave. You have an option to stop, so don't not stop and voluntarily now be a slave. God is communicating, I am not Pharaoh. So not only for the children of Israel, but can we think about ourselves today? If God's not Pharaoh saying you can't stop, some of us have a Pharaoh living on the inside of us telling ourselves we cannot stop. See, because Sabbath is also about liberation. We keep Sabbath because it's what free people do. Instead of being wound up as the Israelites had been in this Egyptian narrative that says you are only as valuable as as many bricks as you can produce. If you can't produce any bricks, you are not valuable to us. In our world, often the cultural narrative is your value is associated with what you can achieve. But Sabbath is not just a matter of rest, it's a matter of resistance against a prevailing cultural narrative, that good things only come through unceasing effort, that we are what we produce, that our significance and our value is associated with what we do, not just in who we are. See, to practice Sabbath is to say that our humanity matters more than our profitability. So maybe the question we have to ask ourselves is who am I if I'm not achieving, if I'm not doing, if I'm not busy? It seems paradoxical that we actually need a command to rest one day a week. It seems like it would be natural. But there's something inside of us. I believe it's oftentimes driven by fear, driven by a scarcity mindset that I'm not going to have enough, I have to keep working, or else I'm going to miss it, or I'm not going to be, I am not enough, so I have to prove my worth. God is interested in us leaning into and 
Not living out of a scarcity mindset, but living into an abundance mindset. While we might resist it, we also desperately crave it. Think about so many of the TV commercials or things you see on the internet or on billboards that are sold through a picture of a family hanging out and laughing around a dinner table or, or, or a picnic on the beach. Resting, relaxation, not working pictures and paintings. Now, for some of you, you might say, well, Aaron, that's a wonderful idea, but I'm just too busy. I can't afford to take a Sabbath. I think God would say that we can't afford not to. And because God is giving us this seventh day and saying that this is the way that we're made to be and that if we live in, with, in such a way that we don't stop, that we actually are slaves, voluntary slaves, that means then that if we can't, because we have too much going on, then I would like to suggest that we're actually doing more than what God is asking us to do. That there are things on your calendar that God is not asking you to do. And I hope that we would be people as we follow Jesus that would say, I want to do what you want me to do and not do what you don't want me to do. Adele Calhoun in her book, Invitations from God, says if you aren't resting, you are a slave to something. And maybe it's not work, like your paycheck work. Some of you, I love my job, so my tendency is to be like, I, I like work, so let's just keep working. Some of you are like, yeah, it's easy for me to stop work because I hate my job. But there can be other things that we can be a slave to and never actually rest. And the beautiful thing in this, in both of these pictures, Deuteronomy 5 and Exodus 20, is that he says, and for your kids and for your animals, your oxes, make sure your ox gets the Sabbath. Because we might say, I can't afford, I, I, you know, I'm a single mom or I've got a couple of jobs. And, and I realize we have different situations and there's different things. But I love that the equity and the justice that's communicated in both of these commands, that it's not just for the privilege, it is for everyone. So you might be asking, how do I practice Sabbath? Great question. Thank you for asking. First of all, Sabbath is about delight. So, a Sabbath is going to look a little different for some than for others. It doesn't mean we stop working and we lay down and we stare at the ceiling like a boring day. I hope it's the best day of your week. But one of the ways that we can shape it is through thinking through a lens of delight. That we don't, first of all, do anything that we have to or is associated with a deadline. So, homework, work, work projects... Nothing with a have to or a deadline, only a get to and a want to. So think of things that are life-giving to you. They might be things that take a whole day. They might be things that take 10 minutes. Do those things so that by the end of the day, you have, you've played, you've recreated, you have recreated. That something in your soul is more alive. So that our hearts move from scarcity to abundance. Jesus so regularly healed on the Sabbath, much to the bemoaning of the Pharisees. And I wonder if Jesus was doing it on purpose. Maybe he liked to irritate them. And 
Maybe he was trying to connect Sabbath and healing together. Abraham Heschel, in his profound work on the Sabbath, a Jewish rabbi says, every seventh day, a miracle comes to pass, the resurrection of the soul. So Sabbath is about delight, which means it's going to look different for some. For some, reading a book is a, just a delight. For other people, mowing your lawn is a delight. For some people, mowing their lawn is the most life-sucking activity you could participate in. Don't mow your lawn if that's you. Don't mow your lawn because you feel like you have to. Enjoy. Stop when it's not life-giving. Putz around. Take a nap. Waste time. You're like, waste time? I actually believe that when we come to the place where we can enjoy wasting time, we've actually come to the place where we're actually practicing Sabbath in the way that God designed it. Because there's something about resting to the point of being able to not feel like I have to do that is indicated in that. First, Sabbath is about delight. Second, Sabbath is about worship, pointing our worship in the right direction. The Israelites actually wanted a break and wanted to get away and ask, can we just go and worship? And they were not allowed. No, you cannot worship because you have to keep producing, which is why the Jewish Sabbath is oftentimes kept on Saturday, their worship day, which is oftentimes why a Sabbath for maybe many in this room is a Sunday and incorporates and includes participating in worship. Ruth Haley Barton in her book, Embracing Rhythms of Work and Rest, says, I have experienced rest that turns into delight, delight that turns into gratitude, and gratitude that turns into worship. Meaning, I'm just going to sit around, you know what, I save and enjoy my favorite foods on Sabbath. I love hamburgers. Hamburgers are my favorite food, if they're done well. And you know, so here I am like savoring and delighting in a hamburger, and then I find myself like, thank God for hamburgers. <laughs> like, what an amazing food. Thank you, God, and blue cheese and avocados and lettuce and the right squishy burger and our bun and, and, and some chips. And this is, oh, thank you, God, for that. Thank you, God. God, you are the creator of all things good. Delight, gratitude, worship. Thank God for a wonderful church. Thank God for the vibrancy and the ways in which you're at work and planting the lonely in families. Thank God as I delight in creation. And man, you made that mountain. You get a climate and what a joy. And I don't, my, my, I don't look to the mountains. I look to the creator of the mountains. See, because... Sabbath attunes our heart to God as we delight in His good gifts. Eugene Peterson, the writer of the message version of the Bible, wrote a book called Christ Plays in 10,000 Places. And he says, when we work, we are most godlike. God commanded us to work in the beginning of the Bible, which means that it is in our work that it is easier to develop God pretensions. Unsabbathed, our work becomes the entire context in which we define our lives. We lose God consciousness, God awareness, sightings of resurrection. We lose the capacity to sing, this is my father's world, and end up chirping little self-centered ditties about what we are doing and feeling. 
See, because Sabbath is not about what you do, it's oftentimes about what we remember. And we remember that I have limits and God doesn't. God didn't need to rest, but we do. That I don't run the world, He does. That the world runs just fine without me. That I need time to slow down. In your delight on a Sabbath, don't do the dishes. Don't do the laundry. Let your house get messy. Some of you are like, <laughs> that's not very life-giving. Well, like, enjoy it. Let the mess just be okay. You know, I gave my definition for Sabbath where we stop work, we engage rest, and we practice delight. I like to think of it as we rest, we delight, and God loves us. No matter what, He delights in us. Even in the mess, not only the mess of maybe our house, but the mess of our lives. I'm not producing, I am not doing, I am not everything that I think I should be or whatever, but you love me. We rest, we delight, God loves us. And then finally, Sabbath is about community. We might take some time on a Sabbath to be by ourselves. And that might be very life-giving and maybe more life-giving for some than others. We, it isn't that we need to be by ourselves. Maybe going to a coffee with a close friend is exceptionally life-giving for you. For some, it might, you might sitting and reading a book for a few hours by yourself is exceptionally life-giving for you. So take some time and do that. But I think it's important that we also recognize that there's a communal aspect to it, that we aren't just by ourselves like this is a me day, but we are taking in and receiving the gifts of the people that He's put into our lives. In the Jewish tradition of practicing Sabbath, it started with a Sabbath meal. And on that, in that Sabbath meal, regularly, if not weekly, husbands would sing a song of praise over their wives. Parents would bless their children. They would go to synagogue to renew community, to share joys and griefs and to walk through. They'd linger at a meal and savor each other and the food that they were sharing together. So what if somehow, it's, maybe it's your family, maybe it's some close friends, maybe it's a, something where you're taking a little more time and you're, you're engaging in a different way. You're not in a rush and you're not trying to stop and you're, not, you're just trying to enjoy. Save your best foods for Sabbath. Don't count calories. Eat an extra cookie. Have a glass of wine. Enjoy. So our weekly practice is to evaluate what is keeping you from practicing Sabbath. For some of you, that is, they're, they're, you're like, I, I don't even know where to start. I have too many things. The goal is that we would take a Sabbath this week. For some of you, that might be two hours. For some of you, you might be able to jump right into 24 hours, but, but sometimes because we can't do 24, we're like, don't do anything. But we should do something before you do everything. This has been a, a, over a decade-long journey for me in particular and Jossie and I together. And it has adjusted and changed in and, and ways that 
different things start to creep in and our different ways that it's, it looks different with our, when our kids were really young and it looks different as, as some of them are moving out of the house and it looks different depending on the season of life, but it has always been there and we've been working at and protecting and finding, you know what, that's not very life-giving. Oh, we need a little more community or, you know what, this device needs to go. An iPad, a phone, a computer, maybe a TV, television. Now, I'm not saying you can't watch a show or a movie or something like that, but sitting and vegging in front of a television, a Netflix binge on Sabbath is actually not all that life-giving. So, and maybe for some of you, you practice Sabbath, but even in preparing for this message, there's been a few things I'm like, you know what, I want to adjust. I need to tighten some things up. For me, particularly, particularly, it's my phone. I've, I've had a practice of putting it away and not having it around for different portions of the day, but I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm trying to turn it off for 24 hours. Some of your hands just got sweaty. It is possible. It might actually take a little more work to prepare if you're going somewhere, because the tendency is we might just need it for a map, but then we check text and then social media, and before you know it, we're on an email. I just read an article by a woman named Shirley Turkle that did some research and said the presence of a phone, now this is good to know about Sabbath, it's good to know about every day whenever you sit down at a meal, the presence of a phone on a table, even if it's upside down, subconsciously, it causes our conversations to be less deep and vulnerable. Because subconsciously, we're, we're believing we are about to be interrupted. And if this thing buzzes, it will get picked up, which is going to communicate what you're saying is not as important as what's potentially on the other side of that phone. So what if we put our phones away when we normally just sit down, and that's every day of the week. But what if we don't even have it at the table? It's turned off. It can't even, even if it buzzes, we can't even hear it. Have a Sabbath box. Put your phones in it. Put your devices in it. For some of us, it's going to be a really big box. <laughs> Just do what you want. Stop. Take a nap. Putts around. We need more putzing. <laughs> do what delights you. Enjoy. Savor. Savor one another. Be present to God present to yourself, present to one another. Slow down. Allow God to recreate and refresh. So do what you can. For those of you who maybe are already practicing Sabbath, tighten up. Figure out what is there anything else? What's distracting me? What's life draining, not life giving? It is not only about community, so we want it to be communal. It is also best in community. The Jewish community has uh, uh, an easier time doing Sabbath because everybody's practicing Sabbath at the same time. And so they're not getting calls from somebody else saying, hey, can you do this? And you can be participate this and your boss calls. And So we're going to try something. We're going to try and have an all-church Sabbath on Sunday, October 29th. It's, I, I'm putting it far out there so you can schedule and reschedule. All right. For some of you, I, I realize you, this may not be possible for everyone. If that, if it's you, maybe you could only, maybe you have to start midday Saturday to midday Sunday, 
I don't know what you can or can't do. Maybe you are working that day. Maybe you can reschedule your work day. Maybe you can't. I, I don't know, but, I, but what if we just try that? We're, we're, and then maybe it's like we're going out to lunch or we're having people over and we're just lingering and we're savoring and we're laughing and enjoying and crying and present, putting phones away. Part of the reason to do something, I've never done this before, but what if we put it on our calendar? This gives us several weeks to try and work it out. Maybe your Sabbath is normally a Saturday or mine's a Friday, Sunday's a work day. But, but gives us some time to adjust. But one of the reasons I want us to try this, because maybe it's the one thing that gets us moving. I was talking to somebody not too long ago, and, 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 I, and as we were talking about there's anxiousness going on, I said, do you take a Sabbath? Or tell me about your Sabbath. Like, well, uh, I said, they came week two. They've been here for 11 and a half years, minus one week. Do you know how many times I've talked about Sabbath? A lot. And I said, you've been here for over 11 years? She said, oh, you think I'm bad? You should talk to my husband. I bet there's been a bunch of this going on here this morning. I, I, when I first wrote this message, I had, I'm begging you in it. I'm not going to beg you. But the reason I had written, I'm begging you, is one, it has been so profound for me. It has been one of the most transformational practices in my life and our family. But the other one is that I regularly, as I've talked about this over the years, I regularly get such encouragement and warm and glowing feedback after it. That is, Aaron, that is so good. That is so good. That was so good. That was so good. Thank you. <laughs> but then, you know what really would bless me? Not that. I mean, th please do. But, <laughs> but doing it. I have found on this, because of the rapid pace of our culture, that the information to action gap is big. They're like, I, I, that sounds great. I love that God says that. I want to do that. But then putting it into practice is exceptionally difficult. What if somehow we really got it moving? Let's do it together. And the other reason that I didn't want to beg is because in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The reason is Jesus isn't begging, he's inviting. So I invite you. I invite you to engage. I invite you to participate, to take it not as a lifestyle suggestion, but to say that is an invitation from God Almighty, from Jesus, my Savior, who says, this is the way. This is the way. Could save your life. Could save your marriage. Could save your relationship with your kids. Could save your soul. And so, 
Will you respond to the invitation of God today to practice Sabbath? And for some of you, maybe you have never found ultimate rest in God. Because this is a daily practice that, rec- that, that represents a life posture. That I rest in God. God has me taken care of. God is the one that I put in whom I put my hope and my trust. For some of you here today, maybe this is your first time in church, or maybe you just never put your faith in Jesus, and maybe today is your day to cross the line of faith and to say, Jesus, I trust you. Or maybe you're walked away from God, and today you're coming home, and you also need to say the same prayer, Jesus, I trust you. I trust you, I trust your way, and I want to live into and experience deep rest in my soul because it belongs to you. So wherever you find yourself in your Sabbath journey or your journey with Jesus, I want to take a moment and pray for all of us. Father, we need you. We need you and we want to help us to live according to your way and your design. Even in a world where we're moving so fast and and culture says, fill your time to the brim, that you actually say, actually, there's a better way. There's a more life-giving way. And God, we say this not just so that we can smile more, though we like that, but that we would connect ourselves to a deeper joy and a deeper rest so that we can, in fact, be a non-anxious presence in an anxious world, communicating the life and the peace and the rest that you offer to the world. This we pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.